0: Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name is Lucas. And I'm Travis. We're Southern Men de
1: Reconstructed the South. So uh, last time we were talking through the lecture of secular education by Robert Louis Dabney and going through the uh, the first part of the lecture of uh, who controls education and what is education. We laid out a foundation for what education is and went into a little bit started scratching the surface on how it must be ordered by the state if the state was to take it over i think we're going to f- see how his argument is um how his argument fleshes out throughout the rest of this lecture and then we also went into why it must be secular by necessity because if a state is running education, then it must by necessity be secular. And we went into why that's so. And then the next part we went through is, is secularized education even a remote possibility within the ordered frame that we live in today? I think we're gonna recap a little bit on that. And then we're also gonna get into how secular education, uh, does it have a historical basis or is it something that is wholly unique to the American experience? Well, and I
0: I think it's important to point out that the way that secular education must be, this was part of the reason why it's not possible, it must be without any form of ethics or virtues being taught from any specific position. And... Education, by necessity, includes virtue, it includes morality, it includes faith. So when those things are removed, what you're getting is no longer education. You're simply getting what he calls dexterity of one's abilities. And we see the real difference between the totality, the holistic nature of education over and against what the state claims they're, they're doing in their education. So he actually goes through the different forms that this must take, and there's only about four as he lays it out. The first is that you just have to force the majority religion on any of the minority groups. Uh, someone here in the majority would simply mean the group that has the most people who are contributing the most to this organization or system.
1: So that would be like the you know if if the area was heavily Presbyterian and a minority Baptist, then by necessity they would get a um, Presbyterian education, not a Baptist education. Which that that's a small, um, a very small difference, and I wouldn't have any problem with doing that. But if the majority was Papist, I would have a huge problem with that, and that's why I utterly reject option one that he laid out.
0: Correct. Uh, the second is what Great Britain does, and it it's you have concurrent endowments, as they call it. Um, each denomination can have their own state-endowed school. Now, Protestants didn't like this because there's no solution unless the denominations are popular enough to sustain a school. And so if you just don't have enough Baptists or enough Presbyterians... In your area, then you're just not gonna get a Baptist or a Presbyterian education, and what invariably happens is if someone some area is overwhelmed with uh Roman Catholics for instance um you know we we wouldn't want our children to be taught uh the ways of the Roman Catholic Eucharist and this would be no different than I would not want my child being taught uh, to practice baptism according to Presbyterianism. So what you have is you just don't have um, you don't have representation uh, adequately provided to the to the people who are in your area but also also
1: the the another reason to reject that concurrent endowment is because it it gives the state authority over creeds, and it says that either all creeds are valuable, therefore they all get money, or it says well, either this creed isn't valuable or this creed isn't trustworthy and being being a being a fairly strict theonomist, I don't believe that the state has the power to govern the affairs of creeds because that's not the way, that's not the role that's been given to the state to say which creed and which confessions should receive money. Um, it, it basically puts all creeds on the same level, which we would see as blasphemy. You know, when we once we start looking into the popery that that comes out of Rome, and I wouldn't want my tax dollars going to that.
0: And vice versa. I mean, the, the Catholic would not want their tax dollars going to spread Protestant doctrine. It would be against...
1: Well, they're wrong.
0: Well, <laughs> we both would agree with that. I'm just saying, like, there's a there's an equity here that would be disrupted. And what the state then has to do is has to validate creeds, and the state really doesn't have the right... say, Well, this creed is valid and this creed is not valid. And so it creates a huge uh, conflict in the state where the state actually can't perform the duty that we're expecting it to to perform because of this this, uh, competition. It's especially a problem in our American system because the American government is not supposed to establish a state religion. And this was specifically written in because the Protestants did not want Catholics or Anglicans determining how they were going to practice their religion. It was a pushback against uh, the more dominant forms of Christianity in Europe, from Europe.
1: Well, the third option that Dabney lays out is... Oh, why don't we just allow the parents to opt out of non-sectarian religious instructions? Uh, so, if if a child goes and he doesn't want to, like, let's just say that in this in this particular town, popery is um, exceedingly rampant, and so all the schools there are popish schools. Why don't they just allow him to opt out of the Eucharist or? Uh, whatever else that they praying praying to saints, praying to the uh the Virgin Mary, etc. But that's not liberty, that's just toleration. And also it tends to tends to put a bullseye on your child's back also because he's not participating in these uh what what other you know what the popish children would see as necessary uh sacrament. Then the last alternative is if we're not going to just allow toleration, we have to just completely secularize it, completely divorce it from, I guess you could say, a teleological. You've got to divorce divorce the physical from the metaphysical, and I'm not even sure if that's possible.
0: Well, I mean that's what we have right now. We have a, we have a removal of any form of metaphysical or teleological principle in our education. And because of that, atheism reigns supreme when it comes to public education.
1: Yeah, even if the child won't admit that they're an atheist or not, they think like atheists. I can't tell you how long, and I'm still dereconstructing the way that I think, to not just think in materialistic terms, not just to think in these atheistic practices, but to think like a Christian. Uh, That's... Pretty much why we're going over this lecture is because, well, I I know for me, I'm going to speak for myself, I don't think about the metaphysical near as much as I should, at least not in terms of, at least not in terms of everyday life. Like everything is both teleological and metaphysical. All the physical items that we see around us are also at the same time spiritual.
0: Yeah, so one of the results of this is how we think about um, ethnic identity and race today. And the eugenics that was practiced in the early uh, 20th century would have been abhorrent to the people in the South. Uh, Dabney would have seen it as utterly abhorrent. Because it it follows more along the naturalistic materialistic framework of Darwin than it did of the people groups that were understood, the the, the just the various types of peoples that exist, as the the Southerners would have understood it. This had a lot to do with the narrative of the people or the story of the people, and the effort that it would take to slowly shift someone's frame of reference from uh, a more savage frame of reference to a more educated, a more Christian frame of reference. This goes back to true conservatism, which accounts for the wide spectrum of what a people are and not just this narrow definition of what people are. And it's, it's, it's a rather insidious addition to the the modern mindset and we've been locked into this mindset because of the way that we've been taught to think we've been taught to think in this very rational quote-unquote uh uh materialistic way and everything is just natural causes and biology and that's in biology is not the sum of identity
1: well yeah i mean because i mean they bring it back to the con- true true conservatives, what are we conserving? I mean, modern day conservatives are basically just liberals 20 years ago, not 10 years ago, hell. But when you when you really bring it back to the, the teleological and the metaphysical and, and this entire tradition that has been built upon and that you are a part of, then you actually have something to conserve more than just your... More than just your materialistic biological people group, it's also a, a very real spiritual tradition that you have. And this is all a part of education because we, we've been we've been raised, especially us in the south. You know, This is one of the biggest reasons we're starting this podcast is to deconstruct the southerner is because through reconstruction, they're trying to teach us that our people are just the same as the people up north. Well no, we're not we're a distinct people. We we are a very very unique people and you can't just have the the physical aspects of it. I mean sure, there's a lot of um a lot of anglos up north. There's a lot of Scotsmen up north. But they're not the same as those of us in the south and that's because we owe everything to the people that came before us and we are we are literally standing upon the foundation of what they laid down but not only physically but also metaphysically spiritually like we, we still live in this ethos of what these people laid down in 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 the atmosphere basically that's why i still think that we have remnants of Christendom south of the Mason Dixon
0: well in this this uh, aura this identity this brotherhood, this uh, southernness that we call uh, this, this ethereal understanding of who we are and what we are, it's woven into our ancestry, it's woven into the story and the history of who we are as a people. So you reach back and you look at Stonewall, you look at Davis, you look at Lee. I mean, let's take the big names. These guys were part of what made the South what it is. These are our heroes. And they did some rather mythical things. And they actually embodied the identity of the people that they represent. And so when we talk about Davis or we talk about Lee or we talk about Stonewall or we talk about Forrest, we're appealing to those people who are, in a sense, a very real sense, a part of what we are. They they, they would be like the, the pantheon in some sense, where George Washington had this mythological status to himself. He walked into a room and people revered him a very real sense. Davis was like this. And Lee was like this. And. Forrest and Stonewall were like this. Where they. They were revered by the people. The people understood who they were. And what they stood for. As a, as a total. As a totality. And that's why we point back to these guys. Because we can take some of this ethos. The remnants of this ethos that we have today. We can reach back to the past and use these figures as a standard and learn how to interpret these figures into the modern day. But this is what education is. You go back, you learn what is the history of your people, and how do you take this history, conserve the history, conserve the story, tell the story, but today.
1: There's a reason why every single culture on the planet had their mythological heroes. Whether or not these heroes like Achilles actually existed and actually fought is one thing, but we know that these men that we are talking back to actually fought, actually had this persona about them, and actually did some incredible things, like truly miraculous things. And that's why whenever you're, when you're educating your children, you're educating them through a narrative type format. Okay. Not, not everything is narrative. You know, we do need these didactic, like two plus two equals four. However, even two plus two equals four is a metaphysical statement. The majority of, of education, especially in the, in the younger, you know, the younger ages, you know, uh, three, four, five, six, you want it to be more of a narrative Strung out about all these great men and like have these moral teachings woven into it, but also these aspirations that you should shoot for. um, And I'm going to use a very overused term, but shoot for the stars and. They can hit it in a very real sense because they have these heroes to look up to and not these D-gen heroes that. uh, Modern America has where you, you got your frickin. Hannah Montana bull crap out there and now look what happened to the entire generation that she impacted. Okay, we have we have legitimate heroes to look look towards and secular education does not give you this because they cannot make value statements upon who your heroes actually are.
0: So what we have to understand is that this is traditionally what education was. Traditionally education was you continuing on the story of your people in a better way. You carrying on the story of your civilization in a better way. And in the largest, the most highest level of looking at this is your participation in God's story of the redemption of all creation in your context. You are able to live this story that God intends to tell, not only on the level of your era, not only on the level of your people, not only in the, in, on the level of your community, but also on the level of your your person, your family, and your individual actions. Dabney gets into this, into secular secularized education has no historical basis. Because Hold on, hold on. Okay. Uh, because he points out that nobody in history has ever done this. But even today, your, uh, your Jews, your pagans, your Muslims, your atheists, they all teach these ethics, these systems these worldviews to their children. All of them do. It, it is a novelty to secularize your education. Daniel Webster says, uh, Daniel Webster was a senator from Massachusetts who served twice as the Secretary of State, and he says, in what age, by what sect, where, when, by whom, has religious truth been excluded from the education of, of the youth? Nowhere and never, everywhere and at all times, it has been regarded as essential. It is of the essence, the vitality of useful instruction. The whole point of giving someone dexterity and their abilities is that they be moral and good human beings. That's the whole point of giving them education. It's not just to make them individually powerful, although that is a goal, but it's that they use that power to be better, to surpass what you were able to do. I want my children to do better than what I was able to do. I want them to know more than what I was able to know, and I want them to do this so that they continue, and carry on the tradition of the Southern Christian.
1: And I believe we mentioned last time that the so this government education originally came from the Northern the northeastern states, you know, the where the Puritans basically were. And again, I don't want to harp too much on the Puritans, but Dadney points this out of what what we see the fruits of this, of this secularized state ran education coming from the north northeast of of the country. And what's been the fruit of that? Well it was revolting against the Christian faith. Um country was full of preachers and literatures yet they were absolutely riddled with materialism journalists were circulating articles appealing to the irreligious where used to they would appeal to the person's christian faith explicitly christian faith and heck a lot lot of journals back then a lot of you know newspapers and magazines it had more theology than the average american christian has in their entire year no, it was because very people, prevalent. You know, oh yeah, I mean they they used to you know you know put at the end of their into their letters or into their articles. You know the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't hear any Christians refer to the Lord Jesus Christ on a regular basis, especially not in something as trivial as a date.
0: No, it's or, all it's look, all BC and it's all CE and BCE today. Uh, the 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 common era and before common era. Oh, that, that,
1: that, that, that's what that means? I thought it meant Christ Empire and before Christ Empire. <laughs> so, see, I can use it either way. But the weird thing is even using common Era, what's what's that common thing that we started on year zero? What's that little common thing that happened, like, right around this little time? Well, they're... Uh, they're oh, I don't even...
0: Y- y- I mean, they're just trying to... to... Pull it further and further away from Christ. the whole, The whole point is to not be so Christocentric, and that's that's the stated that's the stated idea behind that switch.
1: And yet, they're still Christocentric. <laughs> Without
0: with w- with a very intentional it. effort of not being so, they are yes. But but this yeah, is the way yeah. of the world. They can't help it. by By exercise any form of logic or reason, they can't help but appeal to the nature of God. You know. Because they've been made well, in his the, image.
1: Wasn't it the French Revolution that uh they tried to do the ten day work week?
0: Yeah, and it failed. Well,
1: wasn't it them? Yeah, yeah, failed miserably. I mean, almost like seven days is ingrained into ingrained into us. I don't know. But we'll we'll have to talk about, you know, the um measurements and calendars and why we should afford the metric system on another podcast. I really want to get into that by the way.
0: Oh, this is gonna be fun.
1: Well, I I think you know talking about you know how the imperial system and, and counting the dates back to Christ is. They they try so hard to get away from being Christocentric, yet yet they cannot even do it in their rebellion. And I think that's a great turn into education being a spiritual process, like. As I mentioned earlier, what what we're trying to do in America is we're trying to only educate the physical without the metaphysical, and then this is like a ripping apart of a human soul. Uh, my my pastor likes to say that we are body and soul. Where the, the the fact that you think we can separate those two easily is a heresy, and it's something that was never taught by the by the church.
2: Well, it's Gnosticism. And
1: Oh, oh yeah! Fundamentally, it is. And, and if you want to prove this, go get a paper cut. That little paper cut will bother you all flipping day. And it's not even that it hurts you physically, but just it nags on you like mentally. So we have these men, and I think Lewis makes a great, um, a, a great uh, analogy here, where we're educating men without chest. We're having these weak chested men that know a lot of. Physical and material things, but they don't have any heart. They don't have anything in their chest to actually, you know, back up these things that they know um, physically. They 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 are they, so lacking on ones. It's basically like if you were to lift weights, but only with your right arm and never wear your left, you're going to be out of out of whack, big time. Um, well, it, it's soulless education,
0: uh, soulless knowledge. Let me let me rephrase that. Soulless knowledge.
1: Yes, and religion, being the science of the soul, must be taught so that you are more well-rounded of a human being. As I said earlier, I, I think in, I'm trying to think in terms of uh, both physical and spiritual at the same time. And because I was not taught, was not trained, and was not uh, exercised. In the practice of actually thinking spiritually, it's harder to do later in life than it would have been if I would have started thinking this way at five years old, or, you know, younger. Um, I, I don't think you can separate the two. Two plus two equals four is just as theological as the, the 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 hypostatic union, and why is that? Because both are true, and all truth is God's truth.
0: Well, so there's two quotes that. Um... From David Hicks, who wrote Norms and Nobility, that I I think are really relevant to this. The end of education is not thinking, it is acting. It is not just knowing what to do, it is doing it. The sublime premise of classical education, which would be the kind of education that Dabney advocates for, asserts that right thinking will lead to right, if not righteous, acting. Those who believe as I do... "...that teaching students to reason well is not enough threaten, Mortimer Adler would argue, to turn education into indoctrination while placing a greater burden on the teacher and his lesson than either can bear. It, it seems to me that the difference between education and indoctrination is, one, is more one of degree than of kind." And my teaching experience has led me to believe that unless my aims are more broadly defined than to make my students rational thinkers, I will surely fail to achieve even that. Education must address the whole student, his emotional and spiritual sides as well as his rational. The aims of education, the teacher's methods, the books, the lessons, the traditions, and the regulations, all must express not just ideas but norms, tending to make young people not only rational, but noble.
1: So in the lecture, he also goes, and I think we mentioned this a little bit earlier, about uh, the, the, spritz, the splitting apart of the physical and the metaphysical. I don't want to keep beating that dead horse, but Dabney, Dabney gets into the uh, how secularized education must omit or distort important subjects. So what exactly do we mean by this? If if we're attempting to make education absent of Christianity, then my
2: son of a bootlicker. If we
1: are attempting to make an education with absence of Christianity, by necessity it must break apart important subjects or absolutely just hack at the truth. So how can we say that we're teaching truth when we deny he who is the way, the truth, and the life. Christ literally said, he is the truth. So we cannot have truth outside of him, period. Uh, Then then we have to totally ignore. So in a secularized education, uh, back when I was a a wee lad going to to government school, there was so many different people there with different stories, different backgrounds, different, Genealogies, obviously, they have different genealogies because they're not me. Uh, but just a completely different history than me and my people. So, therefore, within education, even during the history lessons, it's got to cover this wide berth of just general knowledge, and we can never actually get in depth on who your people actually are. Like, we can never learn about the English tradition. We can't learn the histories that, that, how England was founded, how the South came into existence, how, you know, our people conquered the world, basically. We have to, by, by necessity, omit a lot of that because, one, there's just not enough time in, in within the school day to learn all of this. But also, people would deem it unimportant or we would have to say, oh, well, we also need to learn how the the Aztecs came through because, you know, we have... People of that kind of background going to the same school as you, or learning how the Papists took over the world. But every every religion has their prophet. Is your prophet going to be Moses, or is it going to be Huxley? That that's the argument that he makes. You know what what is the genesis of mankind like? Where did humans come from? Materialist says we all came from a boiling vat of goo. Where the hell did the, vo- the goo come from? Um, But are we going to listen to Huxley? Or are we going to listen to Moses? Are we going to listen to Isaiah? Are we going to listen to Marx? Are we going to listen to Christ? Or are we going to listen to
2: Timothy LeVay? It's it's really,
1: you know, you can't shoot. You mean, you cannot be neutral in these topics. Uh, Douglas Wilson has a great line, and I overuse it entirely, but it is so flipping accurate. It's not whether, but which. It's not whether you have prophets. Which prophets do you have? It's not whether you teach a religion. Which religion do you have? Because atheism is just as, and I can hear all the atheists turning over and screeching and reading, but atheism is a religion, whether they like it or not. Period. Bar none, they have their practices. It's a bit retarded. But they have their practices, and they are faithful to their practices granted their their practices may be just complete degeneracy, but they are faithful to their degeneracy um can't separate these
0: two well and and this is I've argued for a while now without really understanding the full implications of this, but asking for the public school system to teach creationism is. It's, it's, a, it's not an uphill battle. It's a futile effort. You have this whole system that's built on materialism. And you're asking that the materialist system commit a heresy and start teaching metaphysical ideas. That the god of creation, ex nihilo, Creates everything that is, regardless of how you want to frame that, regardless of the, because there is a spectrum of how you want to frame this, you want to say that uh, theistic evolution, if you want to say six day creation and any of the options in between you're asking that the naturalistic materialist system violate their religious principles. And acknowledge the metaphysical reality, and they cannot and will not do that. It's antithetical to the system as it exists. This is why it gets rebuffed every time. Because you want your kid to be in there taught evolution. You want your kid in there taught that they descended from monkeys, and you want them taught that alongside of you're made in the image of God. And it can't happen in public education.
1: It would be akin, if I can throw this analogy in, but it would be akin to asking a Muslim to teach penal substitutionary atonement whenever he, the Muslim, would A, say it's blasphemy and two, wouldn't even know how to teach it properly. So I don't know why we'd, we would want these secular to be teaching something as important as you know god created man in his image and in his image he created he them Uh, that's foundation one that's foundational to not only the christian religion but the entire fabric of humanity because if we're not made in the image of god there is no reason for us to even have a podcast right now because it's all fake and gay
0: Well, in in dealing with this, you know, we we talk about, we're we're, we're talking about the ins and outs of education, but ultimately, education is moral. It has to be moral. From the Christian perspective, you were made in the image of God to share his communicable attributes to the world, the creation itself, to the end that, you know, this is Romans 8 – that you be conformed to the image of the Son. That's the end of mankind. And all education is supposed to be to that end. You're supposed to direct yourself in as much as you're able. As Christians, we are doing this through the power of the Spirit which lives inside of us. We are directing ourselves toward the end of being in the image of Christ. And there are obvious... Um, There are obvious elements to this, such as, you know, we deny perfectionism. You're not going to be perfect on Earth. But that's the end goal. That's the the desired result of the human being. And, you know, in, in parental responsibility, Dabney touches on this a bit, you know, part of your responsibility to your child is to take your child to Christ so that they could have... The salve of salvation, the salve of Christ's blood, applied to their sin, because they got that sin from you. And you want them to be in good communion with God. All of education is geared towards that end, from the Christian perspective. The Muslim does not share that. The Muslim does not share that we be as Christ was. They don't believe that Christ was God. They only believe in Allah. And Allah is unknowable in a very real sense. And so you're supposed to be following the the Hadiths. You're supposed to be following the Quran. You're not supposed to be following Christ. And this is a very important distinction. The, the Muslim is going to educate their children to be like Muhammad. And we are to educate our children to be like Christ. And our goal in that education is that everything from the math to the grammar to the scientific understandings that they have, or the better way of understanding is the naturalistic philosophy that they're to understand. Those things are to be engineered such that it points them to Christ. And it is woefully insufficient, it is woefully insufficient for you to send them to a school and have them taught of the meaninglessness of creation and then try to slap on top of it Christian doctrine. You're expecting them to have a knowledge base that is antithetical to Christ. And for them to be virtuous in the pursuit of being made into the image of Christ. When you're just slapping on Christian doctrine atop their naturalistic foundation.
1: Yeah, the, the, the naturalistic foundation, it's, well, we would say that it's a foundation in sand fundamentally, you know, bringing it back to Christ's parable. But also, when you have a materialistic foundation, what is your moral founding like? What do you have to undergird? Like, okay, so schools in due discipline—we can't deny that. You know, used to get sent to the principal's office and get her butt whipped a bunch. Okay, probably don't do that anymore, but they probably should flip and start doing it again.
0: Well, it's child abuse Not at this point.
1: Some child, some children need to be abused. <laughs> In Minecraft. Only in Minecraft.
2: (laughs) But, anyways,
1: when you have a schoolmaster that says, do not do X, do Y. Okay, why? Why should we do X and not Y? Like, why should I tuck my shirt in? Why should I not cuss? Why should I not chew tobacco? Why should I not go out drinking at the age of 13? Why, Why should I do any of this? And the only... that that the secular man can say is because I said so. Literally. They don't have any further grounding than that. It's because they're in charge, and you're not. So therefore, you must obey everything they have, or excuse me, everything they say.
0: And and the only two outcomes are the brute force ideologies, which are 100% about might makes right. And dialectic materialism. But if you're a dialectic materialist, you're going to fall into communism because it's the basis of Marxist thought. On the flip side, if you're into brute force, then it's going to be more what the Nazis advocate, and you become more Nietzschean. And what we have in the the Americas is you have Nietzscheanism without teeth. Where we're much more manipulative than the Nietzscheans would be, and we simply want people to be nice as we see it, and we will use government force when you disagree or you try to live in opposition to what we believe nice is.
1: Please take this jab. Please take the jab, or we'll send the government after to shoot you in the face. We've been patient
0: enough. We've been patient enough.
1: But our patience is wearing thin. Okay, Grandpa. And
0: and, and we'll remove any governors who stand in our way.
1: Ooh, not – I've said this before. Not even Lincoln was so bold to say that. Not even that damned tyrant Lincoln would have said we will remove the governors. I mean, he invaded the South, but he never said that he would remove a, a constitutionally elected governor. Oh, why do people not realize how inflammatory that statement is? But I digress. Um so when when we have a sitting president um who is basically threatening unconstitutional action uh not only against president or excuse me, not only against governors um uh, forcing these ridiculous mandates at at a whim Basically, the the, the president, the federal government is is sitting here pushing these blatantly unconstitutional measures, blatantly tyrannical measures. We should really start taking power back. And one of the ways is, is by reminding them, or rather to lay out in no uncertain terms, that education is not a role of the state. Period. I don't care that there's a damned Department of Education up in D.C. I don't care. That is not their role. They they are to they are to as Paul says they are to punish the wicked and reward the just in God's law. So one of the things that I absolutely love about the Bible is is God seems to lay out everything we seem to need for everyday life. You know, it seems like it's for good for all manners of faith and practice. There's even a section of just laws in what the government's role is to do. Almost like that was intentional. Right? I mean, it's like he was trying to create a nation or something. Some weird idea like that. I mean, but, you know. And you know what we didn't find in anywhere that, that talks about, you know, the state's role or anywhere in the Bible about the state having authority over areas? We did not find one bit of information about what they should do about education. And I mean, I know I'm being over the top sarcastic here, but there's a reason for that. That's because it's not their flipping job. They, they have a hard enough time trying to arrest all the, um, the the people that are actually breaking laws. In fact, they're not even doing that properly. They would much rather, you know, make up some new laws to obviously because they don't have enough on their plate. So, the government does not have the time, money, or resources to actually educate properly. Period. Or none. They they do not and the reason is because they have not been ordained to do that. Everything the state touches outside of their purview, they literally turn to crap.
0: Well and and you're talking about the, the scriptures uh, you know in the in the old testament the two roles that were supposed to primarily teach were the priest and the father. So both the father and the priest would teach their children the Shema, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you talk, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This was a command that the Levites were supposed to do as their office of priest over the people it's also the father. The father was supposed to lead every morning in, in, in teaching their children the Shema. They were to recite it. They were to know it by heart. And this is carried over in the New Testament. In the New Testament, father is supposed to be uh, prophet, priest, and king of his home. And this is, here I'll, uh, I'll show my Baptist colors. But we don't have a priesthood that creates a separation between us and God. We, as fathers, are supposed to be advocates for God to our children and before our children. The distinction I'm making here is in what we say, we advocate to our children for God. And in what we do, we're advocates before our children. For God. So, this is the responsibility of the parents scripturally, and it has been from the beginning. It's never not been the parents' responsibility to educate.
1: Right. Well, and this really echoes back to our previous podcast on parental responsibility. I'm talking like almost, it's kind of like this book was put together in a, um, in some kind of coherent fashion, but the fathers and mothers are are literally imprinting on these young souls, and that we ought to have it not only in in the formation of them but their complete education be educated by the parents, but with the help of the with the, with the help of the church, the, these children are being moulded together and into one immortal being that will literally live for an eternity, how the parents raise them and educate them. And this is something that it's, it's unmistakable. It's, it's a heavy task, but it's a good task. The people in the secularized education do not, I repeat, do not understand the power that they're wielding because they're materialists. They think that they're just gonna educate them until they're 18 push them out into the world, and they're going to be good, productive members of society. They are not educating them for the purpose of immortality. They're not educating them, especially for us Christians. We should remember we are educating the children for that, for that new kingdom, that new, new heaven and new earth that Christ will establish at the culmination at the end of the age.
0: We covered this in the Parental Responsibilities podcasts, but it was such that the parents would provide the primary source of education for their children in the daily uh, regimens of praying with your children, teaching your children in each situation how to act and what to do. You frame how they think about things and how they're supposed to go about tackling life. And then the pastor would bolster that by providing additional resources. Now today, we've got something of a democratization of information where digital information can just go wild. You can have a digital file of a book and just share that book very readily. Uh, but we run into another problem, which is information overload. So the other part of education could be You speak to your pastor or to your elder, and you say, look, my child's dealing with X, Y, and Z. And your pastor or elder should be proficient, at least, in counseling and in guidance and in wisdom. And so this pastor should give you resources that you can educate yourself so that you can educate your children. It's this trickling down of information where your, your pastor can act as a, uh, a reinforcement of sorts. So we're doing this in several different ways in my church where I've got one elder who's going through a book with about 10 members of the church. All men were just sitting down going through this book, which is uh, Future Men by Douglas Wilson. And then uh, I'm dealing with another one of our pastor elders, and we're going through Sam Renahan's book of the mystery of Christ, his covenant, and his kingdom. So I'm getting these two sources of uh, guidance into my life, and so I'm learning how to structure properly myself and how I present both God and principle And so I come into my home, and I'm able to better teach my children because I'm getting guidance from my pastors and elders. This is how it should be set up, and this is the way that it was set up in the Old South. The benefit here is that the proper way of doing things is something that we can pull from our traditions. This is something that we have traditionally done. And so I think you would join me in this, Travis. I would advocate entirely that we pull our children out of public education. I'm not sure if I quoted him before or not, but Vodi Bakum asks why we would send our children to Rome and ask why they come home Romans. We don't want good Romans. We want good Christians. And we want good Christian Southerns. Hey y'all, thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Post Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to dixiepolis at protonmail.com or send us a message on Gap. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to the website at
3: southernraisedbluegrass.com. God bless y'all. I know dark clouds gather around me I know my way is rough and steep